Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted for this podcast on the importance of sustainable agriculture to welcome our visitor, Dr. Michael Hamm, the C.S. Mott Professor of Sustainable Agriculture at Michigan State University and co-founder of the C.S. Mott Group for Sustainable Food Systems at Michigan State. Dr. Hamm has widely published on a variety of aspects of agriculture and health and has been a leading force in drawing together people interested around the country in agriculture and food systems. Mike, welcome. Thank you very much. Delighted to have you here. So let's talk first about, we'll talk about sustainable agriculture and it's important to human health and well-being, but the term food systems comes up a lot. What does that mean? Some people probably think a food system is a vending machine, (laughs) but of course it's more than that. So explain what you mean by the term. Yeah, I think it is a confusing term and one that most people have no idea what it means. And basically, I think the easiest way to think about it is, is that food is produced on farms and or harvested from the seas across the world. And it has to get to our mouths every day for us to eat it. And so the food system is all those processes from the production of food on the farm to moving that food across the country or across our communities to processing it so that we have it in frozen form, in fresh prepared form, in canned form, et cetera, getting it into our into the markets that we can buy it, getting it to our homes that we can eat it, and then dealing with all the waste products that occur at every step of that chain. So it's a big chain with a lot of players. It's a very big chain with a lot of players. So in in order to improve the food supply in ways that would benefit human health and the environment, one has to consider all those different parts of the chain. And boy, we could do a separate podcast on each one, and I know they're absolutely fascinating, but let's start with the farm. And people talk a lot about sustainability now, and more and more people are interested in organic food in that context, but what impact our food choices are having on the environment and what modern agriculture practices do to the environment? Let's start off with a broad question. Why should we care? Well, I think we should all care about sustainability, and I think that, quite frankly, I think that everybody in the food system does care about sustainability. I think we have different ways of defining it. People mean different things by it. But I think fundamentally, if we think about, we many of us have children. I have a 10-year-old daughter. When she's 20 or 30 years old from now, when she's 20 or 30 years old, she might want to have kids of her own. And the question is, will my grandkids have the same opportunities to access food on a daily basis that I do? If we don't take care of the land, the water that provides the food that we produce now, it's not going to be there for future generations. So the fact that we're concerned about sustainability now means that we must have been doing unsustainable things. Um, it's sort of a word that I think a lot of people don't capture how dire the situation really is. Can you give us some examples of the, the unsustainable food practices that have been used? Well, let me back up one second and think, think a little bit broader than just the practices themselves. I think just the land base that we have for food right now some estimates are that 83% of the fruits and vegetables that are consu- produced in the United States today are produced by on land that's under threat of development. That land, if it goes under development, will probably never produce food again. You know, the adage is the last thing a farm grows is concrete. And if it's not there, it's not there for future generations. So the first unsustainable practice that we're doing is constantly putting land under development and putting land under development in ways that maximizes the amount of farmland that we take out of production instead of minimizing the amount of farmland we take out of production. 
we, we can't be completely against development because our populations continue to grow and people need places to live. But we can do that in smart ways, which preserves as much of our natural resources as possible for the future, or we can do it in dumb ways. And by and large, we've been doing it in dumb ways for the last 50 or 60 years. The other piece of it is, is that historically, we have not been real concerned about soil and whether we lose soil or whether we preserve soil. Now, in the last 20 or 30 years, and actually since the Dust Bowl, um, way back when, there has been an increasing concern about trying to preserve the topsoil for the future. That said, there is still a continuing stream down the Mississippi River into the Mississippi Delta, which continues to deposit topsoil from across the Midwest that comes off of those farms. And so, for example, estimates are that if we took 10% of the current land in the Mississippi Basin out of row crop production and put it into perennial pasture or perennial crops, we would reduce the flow of sediment by about 90% to the Mississippi Delta. So there are some things that we could do on a, on a relatively small scale that could have big effects. Um, the other thing that's been done, for example, is, is in Michigan now, the moldboard plow is used very infrequently, and most people are using chisel plows and other types of farm implements that reduce the disturbance of the soil. What does that do? It helps increase soil organic matter because there's less aeration of the soil, so you get less organic matter broken down. Um, farmers today, by and large, use less amounts of pesticides than they did 20 or 30 years ago. So things like integrated pest management, which 35 years ago was an unknown term, today is a well-accepted piece of, of activity in the farming community so that you scout when you've got a pest present and don't spray until it's there in economically damaging levels. And so there are things that have happened over the last 30 or 40 years that have improved the sustainability of our farming systems. And now, of course, the next push is to, is to figure out what are the next wave of things that improve the sustainability even further. Mike, one of the issues where you've raised special concern is the use of water. Why is that important? Well, water is, of course, something that we, fresh water is something that we need for on a daily basis. Uh, 48 countries in the world today are classified as water-stressed or water-scarce, which means they have insufficient freshwater resources for their population today, and the populations of those countries are continuing to increase. It's estimated that six more countries are going to get added to the list. There are large sections of the United States that would be classified as water-stressed or water-scarce because of the way population has grown with the importation of water. We produce a lot of our fruits and vegetables today in areas that are, that are short of water, and water's piped in for irrigation purposes. And the best guess is, with climate change scenarios, that many of those places where there's currently sufficient water to pipe in down the road will probably have insufficient water because of the change of weather patterns. What that probably means is that we need to think now and for the future about how are we going to redistribute some of our production of fruits and vegetables across the countryside to areas that have higher levels of water. So you painted a picture of why we should care about sustainable agriculture. I'd like to ask you two quick questions to wind this up. One is, what, what can people do who are concerned about this issue? And then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about what our legislators can do. So first, people. If you're a person who says, yes, I believe in the importance of this issue and I'd like to engage in practices myself that would uh, contribute to sustainable practices. What do you recommend a person would do? Well, I think there's a couple things that they can do. Um, one of the things that you and I have talked about privately is 
the notion of local food systems and locally integrated food systems. And I think one of the things that people can do is start to balance their purchasing practices by trying to buy some of their food that's produced close to home and encourage local farmers to grow things and to market things that meet their demands. So I think that's one thing people can do. I think another thing that they can do is they can look in the marketplace for things that are produced in environmentally friendly ways. For example, I drink coffee. One of the things that I try to do is I try to buy coffee beans that are produced in shade-grown coffee plantations um, that are bird-friendly and that are produced organically. Um, I think that another thing that consumers can do is to the extent that they have the time and to the extent they have the resources is buy things as fresh as possible and learn to prepare those things themselves and gain a greater appreciation for the diversity of food that's out there and for the things that they can do in their kitchens to increase their, their enjoyment of food. Are there places people can go to find information on this type of thing? Sure. There are a lot of websites out there that are focused on local food and focused on sustainable food. I think that if you Google on local food or you Google on organic food, um, you'll find a lot of sources of information. Increasingly, cooperative extension agencies across the country, which there's, of course, one in every state, have information on how they could go about finding farmers markets, finding farm stands, finding community-supported agriculture farms. USDA has some information. Um, places like Slow Food USA and Chef's Collaborative 2000, their websites have information. So I think there's a lot of these kind of places that you can find all this on the web. Good. Thank you for those leads. And finally, what can legislators do to, to um, bring more attention to this issue or to take specific action that would help? Right. Well, I think there's two levels, of course. At the federal level, I think that we need to encourage uh, the distribution of our food production across the country. I think that we need to encourage an increasing production of fruits and vegetables. And I think we need to encourage the development of new farmers. So I think one of the things that the federal government so far has not taken significantly seriously is the development of the next generation of farmers in this country and the fact that if we are going to produce enough fruits and vegetables for everybody to have a healthy diet, we need more farmers. And we need farmers who, who know that they can make a viable living if they do the right thing. At the state level, um, I think that state legislatures can recognizing that agriculture in the food system is in fact an economic development tool that they can put to use. And so I think using economic development resources to encourage the development of new farms for catalyzing in, in the upper latitudes of the United States, catalyzing um, off-season production by grants and, and loans and things like that, uh, by using the power of the legislature to create markets and help markets establish themselves. I think there's a lot of things that local and state legislators can do to encourage local production and local consumption. I think at the federal level they can back that up by recognizing federally that we should have a blend of local production and national and global production and that all of those should be encouraged. Good. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our guest today was Michael Hamm, C.S. Mott Professor of Sustainable Agriculture at Michigan State University. Um, please uh, listen for two other podcasts that we're going to record with Dr. Hamm. And, of course, uh, we welcome you to visit the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources and for a list of other podcasts. Thank you.